Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryville.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you to find your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. As you're turning there, it isn't right. That's what Johnny said after he had watched The Passion of the Christ with a group of youth at his church. After the movie, his eyes, they filled with tears. His lips, they quivered. And for a long time, he couldn't say anything. Finally, with great emotion, he spoke those three words, It isn't right. The way the soldiers treated Jesus, it wasn't right. The way the witnesses, the way they lied about him, it wasn't right. The way Pilate cravenly tried to wash his guilt away, it wasn't right. The scourging wasn't right. What they did to Jesus was the greatest crime in history. Why did he have to die? Why? Friends, today, to find the answer to that question, we're going to take a trip back in time and we're going to learn about a man named Barabbas. He's a man who plays a key part in the events of what happened leading up to Jesus' death. Please stand in honor of reading God's Word. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 15. I'll be reading verses 15 through 26 this morning. It says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning and we just look at this passage and we just, we can't imagine why these people would have chosen Barabbas to be released over Jesus if not for the hardened hearts that they had and the leadership that they had in their Christian circle. God, I pray that as we carry the cross forward in our lives today, that as we stand for Christ, that we'll not allow the ways of the world, we'll not allow any false teachers to do that with us, to want the ways of the world over the cross of Jesus. Lord, let us learn from Barabbas this morning what the cross should really mean, what it should have meant for him, and what it should mean for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Who was Barabbas? 
Barabbas, he never speaks a word. Not in any of the Gospels is anything written about that Barabbas had spoke. Yet all four of the Gospels mention him by name. Matthew in Matthew 27, 16 calls him a notorious prisoner. Mark, in Mark 15, 7, he says he was among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection. Luke, in Luke 23, 19, says he was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And John, in chapter 18, verse 40, he adds, Now Barabbas was a robber. His story. It occupies at least 38 verses of the New Testament. When Peter, when he preached in Acts 3.14 in Solomon's portico, which was near the temple courts, he said to the people, and you, meaning them, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Prison was what Barabbas needed. It's where Barabbas belonged at that time. As many of the terrorists today, he may not have looked dangerous to the people, but he was a menace to decent society. When Matthew used the word notorious, it meant that Barabbas, he was known by everyone. Yes, Barabbas. Prison was where he belonged. But there's so much we don't know about this man called Barabbas. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know if he was married. We don't know if he was single. We don't know how old he was. In fact, we can tell all that we truly know about Barabbas in four short sentences. Barabbas was guilty. Jesus was innocent. Barabbas lived. Jesus died. And since our scene takes place in Pilate's court, let's take a quick look at Pilate this morning. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor. And we'll see that he got himself into a couple of jams during his governorship. In his first jam, Pilate, he had alienated these Jewish people, those whom he despised. He had detested these Jewish people. Now, upon arrival in Judea, he had created a lot of trouble for himself. He was very disrespectful of these Jewish people, their practices, their customs, their preferences, and really even the Jews themselves. He would often arrogantly ignore their customs, their concerns, and their feelings. Let me give you an example. The Roman flag, if you ever go back and look at it, was on a pole that had an image of the reigning emperor on top of it. Most of the Roman authorities, in respect for the Jewish principle of no graven images, they would remove the poles with their images when they entered into Jerusalem. But not Pilate. He wouldn't do it. Here's another example. Pilate, he built a much-needed water supply for the city, but he alienated the Jews by confiscating the temple treasury to pay the bills for the waterway. With these kinds of acts, Pilate had pretty much made these Jews his bitter enemies, which produced a problem for him. Because you see, in Roman procedure, the occupied peoples, they had this privilege and they had this right to appeal to the Roman emperor when they received what they had perceived to be unfair and unwarranted harsh behavior. The emperor would hear the case and then he would decide the matter. Thus Pilate, Pilate, the one who deplored these Jews and alienated them right now, at this moment, he needed them. He had to give fair consideration to their demands. They had Pilate in what we would call a vice. Now, in his second jam, it's this moment we're in right now. These religious leaders, they brought Jesus to stand up there before Pilate. They want to have Jesus crucified, but Pilate sees Jesus as innocent. Even the cowardly Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, and he posed no threat to the security of Rome. I mean, think about it. How do you fear someone who teaches, render unto Caesars what is Caesars, and to love your enemies? He rightly perceived that these religious leaders, they had brought Jesus before him because they were jealous of Jesus' popularity with the people around. It didn't surprise him that these religious leaders, that they wanted Jesus dealt with quickly, decisively, and fatally. 
And so Pilate, thinking, ah, this may be my way out of this, he planned to use that custom of releasing one prisoner during that time of the Passover. He would put the question out to the people, which one do you want me to release, Barabbas or Jesus? Surely these people, they would pick their beloved Jesus. They would pick the one who was called their Messiah. And this would put him out of the dilemma that these leaders put him in. He had to please the religious leaders. He couldn't look disloyal to Rome. But if the crowds, if these crowds, if they would ask for Jesus, if they'd say, give us Jesus, then these religious leaders, they couldn't appeal to the Roman emperor. And if they did appeal to the Roman emperor, they wouldn't have a leg to stand on. I mean, Pilate, he could simply go there and he could respond, well, I gave the crowd a choice. And they said, Jesus, these religious leaders, well, they're just simply not in touch with their people. When Pilate, when he had correctly read that these religious leaders, that their motives, the reason they brought Jesus to him was out of jealousy, he had greatly also underestimated the Sanhedrin's ability to get its way. So when Pilate asked, whom do you want me to release? It was in an unanimous voice that the crowd responded, Barabbas. Pilate was stunned. Then he asked, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And it was with an exclamation point, they all answered him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. And they all shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate feared a riot. He had run out of options at this point. And then, after trying to wash his hands of something that we can never wash our hands of, and that is responsibility. Pilate consented to their demand, even though there was no evidence, nothing pointed to even a guilty verdict, much less a death sentence for this man named Jesus. Pilate's role in this story ends miserably, when in Matthew 27, 26, it says this, Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. I can imagine listening to Barabbas' story on that day. Perhaps it went something like this. Well, you know, when, when I woke up this morning, they took me from my cell. And I asked them, well, who, who's this other prisoner that we're going in front with? And they told me it was a rabbi. It was a king. He was a madman. He was a fool. And then they told me to shut my mouth. They led me up to the front of the governor's steps. They put me there beside this man. We were all standing before the crowd of the city. And I knew who they were. I had stolen from many of these people. I lied to most of them. And I robbed quite a few of them. All of them, they were my victims. And they looked like justice to me. Justice without mercy. Justice wanting blood. And him, this other guy, I've seen him before. I heard him speak. He was Jesus. He was the rabbi that had come into the city. He said, love your enemies. He said, the meek shall inherit the earth. And a lot of people welcomed him into their town. They welcomed him in like a king. He was their favorite. He was their prophet. They called him Messiah. They called him their savior. Then the governor asked the crowd, whom shall I release? Will it be Jesus or will it be Barabbas? It was him or it was me. And there wasn't a soul out there I hadn't robbed. I hadn't cheated. I hadn't lied to. And I knew who they would want. All this was. This was just another one of their cruel tricks to get me. Whom shall I release? Barabbas. What? Who was that? Barabbas? They yelled Barabbas? They yelled for me. Crucify Jesus, they cried. Give us Barabbas. So they led him away as the governor, as he washed his hands. And then get this, they set me free. They left me here. They left me all alone to ask myself, why? Why this man? Why Jesus? There they nailed him to the cross after they took him to that hill. And on that hill, he died just like I should have. Why? 
And friends, that's the real question. And let's attempt to answer that question, Barabbas' question of why. Why did the crowd, why did they choose Barabbas over Jesus? Pilate, several times, he tried to release Jesus to the crowd, but obviously, Pilate, he had underestimated the hatred the Jewish leaders stirred up against Jesus. He had thought that his declaration of Jesus' innocence to the crowd, that it would be enough. I mean, what sort of people would prefer a killer over a teacher of God's word? Who would choose that? Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, it's also important for us to remember that Caiaphas and Annas and the other members of the Sanhedrin, they had already made up their minds long ago that Jesus must die. They planned. They plotted. They schemed all the while. Their anger, it simmered for a while, and then their anger grew until it finally hit that boiling point. Jesus. Jesus is the one that must die. They trumped up charges, mostly lies and half-truths and statements twisted so far out of context, but none of that mattered because Jesus must die. As I've learned over the past couple of years, just as Jesus knew, in times like this, when the self-proclaimed religious are attacking, there are times to talk and there are times talking doesn't matter. Knowing the court was rigged against him and the outcome was foreordained, Jesus, he kept mostly silent. But this doesn't explain the crowd's choice. It may be that because of the lies of the religious leaders, the crowd was so whipped up in a frenzy just then that they would have believed the worst out of the best person. The facts in this case, they didn't matter one bit. It was the chief priests that were out there stirring up the crowd. They got them to choose Barabbas on that day. Matthew adds that the elders were involved, meaning that this was the older men who were leading the charge. These graybeards, they were the most likely to get the hearing before Rome if they wanted one. Anyone who studies crowd psychology knows how this works, right? It only takes about four or five people strategically placed within a crowd to start chanting, Give us Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! We want Barabbas! And everybody would start joining in. It was a choice. A choice between a murderer and an innocent man. A choice between darkness and the light. A choice between evil and good. And the crowd wins and Barabbas is set free. So check this out. Barabbas. He was literally the first person who lived because Jesus died. Friends, I pray you understand this. The difference that the cross makes is this. Jesus died that we might live. If you're like me, you wonder, what was Barabbas' reaction? What did he do? Where did he go? What did he think after all of this? He would be living only because Jesus had to die. If Pilate, if he had his way, Barabbas would have been the one that was nailed to that Roman cross by that centurion between those other two thieves. So, how did Barabbas respond to his newfound freedom? Truth is, we really don't know how he responded. The New Testament doesn't tell us anything, but maybe here's some possibilities. Maybe Barabbas, just maybe he was indifferent about Jesus at this point. Maybe he simply focused on his own release. I'm free now, and he never gave Jesus a second thought. He went back to business as usual. He went back to his criminal lifestyle that he had. Perhaps Jesus' death, perhaps it meant nothing to him at all. After all, he could have been thinking, what is that to me? Why does it matter? It means nothing to me that he died. I'm alive. He may have had a sigh of relief thinking, man, that was close. They almost got me that time. Perhaps he went out to that garbage dump that day to see the other prisoners that were crucified out there. Maybe he watched them from a distance, what was going on. It seems reasonable that Barabbas would have thought, man, that could have been me. Man, that was close. 
Or perhaps, and hopefully, hopefully that instance had a profound impact on Barabbas. You see, hopefully it affected him greatly. Might he have been moved by his close brush with his own cross that day to contemplate the meaning of Jesus going to that cross instead of him. For Barabbas, it could have been me, might have become, it should have been me that went to the cross that day. Maybe what happened dawned on Barabbas. Pilate had given the people a choice between releasing Jesus and releasing Barabbas. Do you think Barabbas might have come to grips with this incredible truth that had Jesus been in that same choice, if Pilate would have said, Jesus, whom should I release? Jesus would have chosen to release Barabbas just as well, the same way. Why is it Jesus said he came? Do you remember? It's in Mark 10, 45, where he said this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And it was Barabbas. Barabbas was the first to live because Jesus died. Last, let's look at the difference the cross makes for you and me. Jesus was executed for a crime which Barabbas was actually guilty. And think about this. Jesus was executed for crimes of which we're all actually guilty. That's why Jesus was executed. Our sins are the sins that nailed Jesus to that cross on that day. In the words of the great prophet Isaiah, look what Isaiah 53, 4 says. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Surely he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows with him, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was put upon Jesus Christ. And it was by his wounds that scripture tells us that we are healed. In the words of the great apostle Peter, 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The difference the cross makes for Barabbas and the difference the cross makes for you and for me is this. He died that we might live. What response will you make? Will it be indifference? Do you live life without regard to his sacrifice, the sacrifice he made for you? Is your life, is it business as usual with not much thought for Jesus saying, what is it to me? Why should it care? Why does it matter to me at all? Or has Jesus' death as a ransom for you, has it made a difference in your life? Has it produced a consciousness that said what Barabbas should have said? It should have been me. Let me just close with this. The substitution of Barabbas over Jesus on that fateful day, it has a profound implication for each one of us. Look at the contrast, really. I mean, Barabbas, he stood under the righteous condemnation of the law. Barabbas knew the one who was to take his place on that cross and whose place he'd take as an innocent man. Barabbas knew that Jesus was for him a true substitute in that death on the cross. Barabbas knew he had done nothing, nothing at all to merit being set free on that day. Barabbas knew that Christ's death was for him, was a perfect substitution. Barabbas and Jesus, they changed places in that day. It was a choice, a choice between a murderer and an innocent man, between the darkness and the light, between evil and good. Think of the consequences of the choice made in the mob that day. For them, it was assuming the guilt of Jesus' death. And remember scripture, they gladly took it upon themselves. Look at Matthew 27, 25. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. 
I'm going to tell you the immense callousness of those words. It means the crowd was given over completely to what we would call bloodlust. They wanted Jesus dead. And they didn't care what it meant for them. They didn't care what it meant for their children to come after them. For Jesus, it meant more suffering. It meant a brutal, bloody death on that cross. For Barabbas, it meant he, the guilty one, he would be set free. While Jesus, the innocent one, would die in his place. When we sum up the choice of that crowd, choosing Jesus to die over Barabbas, here's what we must see regarding the decision of the crowd, and many times really in life decisions itself. It was popular, that decision, but the popular choice is often wrong. It was a frenzied decision when passion rules. We all know judgment dies. It was criminal, criminal to prefer a murderer over the prince of life. It was foolish to choose an enemy and reject a friend like Jesus. It was fatal in that it guaranteed judgment for a nation. It was predicted in Isaiah 53.3. It was overruled by God to bring salvation to the world. You know, in this teaching today, we can see the wisdom and the greatness of God. The one who can use the evil choices of the foolish mob to bring salvation to the entire world. In the ultimate story of irony... It was those who disrespected Jesus at the cross who could be saved by the death that they chose for Jesus. Friend, we are like Barabbas. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. We deserve hell. But we must cling firmly to that glorious truth that a sinless Savior, He has suffered in our stead and that by believing in Him, the guilty, yes, we, us, we may go free from those sins. I believe this leaves us with the same question Pilate had that day. What shall I do then with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? I'm going to tell you, you can stand back. You can say, I don't care about him. You can push him away. And you can say, leave me alone. It's my life. Or you can open your heart. And you can say, Lord Jesus, I welcome you. Welcome you into my life. Friend, I'm going to ask you, implore you, trust him. Trust Him today. Run to the cross and lay hands on Jesus, the one who loved you and died for your sins. What more could you do than what He has already done for you? It's Jesus or Barabbas. It's light or darkness. It's good or evil. It's the kingdom of God or the ways of the world. Friends, the choice is yours. What will it be? Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed and thanks again for listening to the Cherryville First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast and have a blessed day.